Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Genesis, if you would, again. Genesis, and this time if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and also be ready, if you'd like to turn back to Galatians chapter 3. We'll be turning to that passage in the New Testament, and along with uh, the passage that we read for our scripture reading this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we'll be at a variety of passages uh, this morning as we're continuing this theme that we are made in his image. What does it mean to be in his image, in his image? And today we'll continue to see how this incredible message of being made in the image of God is central to our identity. We really cannot understand who we are or what we are supposed to be apart from understanding what it means to be made in the image of God. But also we cannot understand the gospel unless we also see that it is the Lord restoring and redeeming people to his image, which is really what the gospel is all about. It is a story of restoring and redeeming image bearers to the purpose for which God created them. I want us to begin again in Genesis chapter 2 this morning, but as you do, let me tell you of an event that happened in the early 1970s up in Northwest Ohio. That time there was in Northwest Ohio an unknown but very active satanic cult. And part of initiation into the satanic cult was for people to profane some sacred object. Something that was identified with God, identified with Christ. If someone wanted to be a part of this satanic cult, they had to profane that object. There was one young man who desired entrance into this satanic group. And so the right of admission which was given to him was for him to burn a church, to burn a church. So in that way he set out, this was back in 1973, to choose a church which he would burn as part of his initiation into the satanic group. He chose a church that was outside, on the outskirts of the county seat city of one of the counties in northwest Ohio. And there one night with several gallons of gasoline, he burned into the, he broke into the sanctuary, he poured gasoline over the platform, over the pews, around the building, and he set the church aflame. The flames were seen from Interstate 75, which ran nearby. But by the time the emergency response people could get there, it was too late. The entire building was engulfed in flames. Well, it was determined that arson was 
the cause of this, and eventually it was connected to this satanic group. Because of that, the pastor was often in the news, on television and radio, and constantly he reminded the people of that region that God's church was not buildings, wasn't brick, mortar, wood, but the church was people, and that that church was very much alive and well. And then the pastor made this comment to the congregation as they pledged themselves to rebuild. And he also made the pledge to the people of the region when he was on television or radio. He would say, watch God work. Watch God work. And over the next couple of years, that church, by God's grace, was able not just to rebuild, but to rebuild much bigger than it had ever been before. And in that two-year period of time, and because of the notoriety of what had happened, many people were drawn to come to the services. Scores and scores of people were saved. Incredible revival broke out. And it was amazing work of the Lord. And that church was Calvary Baptist Church in Finley, Ohio. And for seven years, Susan and I were blessed to be a part of that church and serve on that staff. We came shortly uh, after these events, but what incredible blessing to be a part of working with a congregation of people and a witness to a community where God had literally given beauty for ashes. He had literally brought about restoration. He had brought about redemption and was bringing salvation. And he was using the attack of the enemy to do it. That's just like God, isn't it? And that in reality, friends, is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. That though the image of God has been ruined by sin. We image bearers have been marred and ruined by sin. Yet there is a God whose grace is greater. And out of that ruin, he brings restoration and redemption. And he actually uses the hatred and the attack of the enemy to do it. We serve a great God, don't we? That's the story of redemption, and I want us to follow it again. Last week, we began using this analogy. Now, I want us to follow it further, but first, by just way of review, remind you that we can see redemption literally in the trees of the gospel. The trees of the gospel. There is a story which is wrapped around these trees Begins with the trees that are in the garden, but I want us to follow the gospel of how God brings restoration through these trees. Now notice, we began last week, we looked in chapter 2, and I've called your attention there, there are these trees in the garden of Eden, and 
We're told in chapter 2 that God planted this garden and he put it into every kind of tree which was beautiful to look upon and which was so enjoyable for fruit. Verse 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed, his image bearer, was placed in this garden. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now our attention is called to these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They are they're very significant. They're literal trees, but they're very significant, significant because they represent spiritual truth. The tree that we're first called attention to is the tree of life. It represents the goodness of God. It represents all that God has given. Behold, everything was what? Very good. This tree represents the goodness of God, his perfect creation of a beautiful world, his gift of that to his people, Adam and Eve, it represents the, the covenant life that they enjoyed together, Adam and Eve in the presence of God, enjoying his love, they loving him, perfect fellowship one with another, perfect fellowship with God, perfect harmony with the environment in which he had placed them. It's the tree of life. And the only requirement for their total enjoyment was to commit themselves to loving loyalty and trusting God. To believe that God had their best interest and to trust him and enjoy him. The responsibility that Adam and Eve had was simply to enjoy the presence of God. Trusting his loyalty to them and they in turn being loyal to him. But there's another tree. Notice this loyalty is expressed in another tree. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It represents, yes, there's good. God's perfect will. The perfect harmony that he's created. But it also represents evil. God's warning that evil exists and to know evil is to know death. Evil existed, that evil finding its first place in the heart of Satan, Lucifer, the greatest of the angels who exalted himself, attempted to make himself greater than God, rebelled with an innumerable host of angels. They were cast out of God's presence. All of this happened before the creation of Adam and Eve. There existed evil. And to know that evil was to know death. Verse 17, look at chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If you disobey me, if you rebel, if you follow the way of evil, if you follow the way of Satan, you will die. And so this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in reality, it's a tree of death. It's a tree of death. God had set before Adam and Eve life and death. Life, enjoying him, fellowship with him, accepting his love, responding in love to him. That was set before them in all of its perfection. But there was also for them the choice. They are not robots. They're made in the image of God. They have the ability to make moral choices and they can choose death. They can choose evil. And Satan knew that. And so we read in chapter three, and we looked at this last week, how tragically Adam and Eve heard the lie of the serpent. And they believed the serpent rather than their father. They believed the serpent when he questioned God's trustworthiness. They, he questioned his intent for them. And they believed the lie of the enemy rather than believing their father. And so they betrayed their father. And in betraying their father, here's what happened. They betrayed themselves. They are made in the image of God. And since they're made in the image of God, to betray their father, to rebel against their father, is to bring ruin upon themselves because they are made in his image. And the curse came. The curse of sin in that day that they disobeyed. Death came, not physical death immediately, but spiritual death came upon them. They died in that perfect relationship with God. And paradise was lost. Look at chapter 3, verse 22. It says, paradise was lost. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. Notice what God said. This is mercy being extended. It's mercy. He says now lest they eat of this fruit. And live eternally. In this hopeless fallen condition. Lest they eat of the fruit of the tree of life. And live doomed and damned. Never able to change. He barred the way with the flaming sword 
And the guardian of God, one of the cherubim, an angel. But in the midst of all this, God made a promise. And here's where we begin fresh today. The first promise in the Bible. It is a promise made by God, even as God pronounces a curse on Satan, who brought evil and brought temptation to mankind. Verse 15, here's what the Lord said to him. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, note that, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first reference to the gospel. The first good news that in the midst of this wreck and ruin which has happened, not just in the garden, but this wreck and ruin that has happened to the image bearers themselves, God is sending someone to the rescue. He is sending someone who is of the seed of the woman. And this one who is coming is going to crush the head of Satan. And in doing so, his heel will be bruised. There is coming one who will be wounded. But in his woundedness, he will accomplish the victory of God. Now where would this happen? Well, it would happen on a tree. And I want you to turn to Galatians now. I ask you to be ready to turn back to the New Testament. And I want you to follow that there is another tree. This woundedness. And yet this victory is going to take place on another tree. The tree of Calvary. The tree of Calvary. Now, the tree of Calvary was certainly a tree of death. Hideous death, terrible death. But whose death was it? It's not what kind of death, but whose death was it? It was the death of the Lord of glory. It was the death of the Son of God. It was the death of the Prince of Life. It was the death of the second Adam. The second Adam. Perfect image bearer from God. It was his death. He was the one who was of the seed of the woman. Virgin born. And he would be the one who would be wounded on the cross. But notice in his wounding. What would he do? What was, pro what was the promise? He shall what? He will crush your head he will crush you he will be a victor he will conquer you and that is what happened on the cross on the cross the Lord Jesus Christ by his perfect obedience as the second Adam by his perfect obedience to the will of God he crushed the power of the enemy he crushed the head of Satan. And by his resurrection, he triumphed over him. This is the tree, the tree of death that becomes 
the tree of life. You see the cross is a tree of death, but there's a victory there. It becomes the tree of life. Now here's the victory. Not just the victory of Jesus. Who needs the victory? We do. The image bears. We need the victory. What is our problem? We're cursed. How can we possibly be delivered from this curse? How is Jesus on the tree crushing the head of Satan? How does that have anything to do with our curse? Well, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ redeemed us. That word redeemed, as you know, means to be purchased. Christ has purchased us to free us from the curse. How does he do it? By becoming accursed himself. He becomes the accursed one. He becomes our curse. And on that cross, which is the cross of his death, he takes our curse so that that tree of death for him becomes the tree of life for us. Do you see it? The cross is the tree of life. It's the tree of life because of what Jesus took from us on himself. He took our curse on himself. And it's a tree of life because of what Jesus gave from himself to us. You see, friends, if you think of the cross as Jesus taking our sins on him, you're absolutely right, but you're only half right. Because the cross, this tree of life, is not just Jesus taking our sins on himself. This is Jesus putting his righteousness on us. I want you to look at this verse if you would. Turn back just a, a few pages if you would. Maybe 10 or 15 pages back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I say back, but more toward the front, okay, if you're looking that way, unless you have a Hebrew Bible, okay. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read the text this morning. This was our scripture reading that I read earlier. Do you remember what the last verse of that passage said? What did Paul say? Verse 21, for our sake, he, that is God, made him, who's that? Jesus to be what? Sin. On the cross, Jesus took on himself what we are. He made him to be sin. Verse 21, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Jesus took upon himself what we are, sin, so that he could give to us what he is, righteousness. 
Sometimes when I'm sharing with people, I'll, I'll use a little illustration like this. I call the cross is the, the tree of life. The cross is the tree of life. And it, on this cross, the tree of life, there is good. <laughs> Who is good? Jesus, the altogether good one, right? He is on the cross. But also... There's evil. It's a tree of good and evil. The greatest evil that the world has ever known is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The evil of our sin being placed on the good one. My sin is there on the cross. There is Perfect goodness, Christ's righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. See this? It's a tree of good and evil. There's good, the righteousness of God in Christ. And there's evil, my sin is there. And what happens? The Bible says, my sin is placed on Jesus. He became my sin. Do you see that? He became my sin. So that on the tree, his righteousness might be placed on me. Do you see that? It's the great exchange of how my sin is placed on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness is placed on me. That is the reason it is the tree of life. The cross is a tree of life because it is the tree of good and evil. The goodness of God in Christ. The evil of my sin as a rebel against God. And my sin is placed on the image bearer Jesus, the second Adam. And the righteousness of the image bearer Jesus is placed to my account. Who can understand this? Who can understand this? Folks, I don't understand it. I'm just reading the Bible. Now, here's the question. Listen carefully. How does this, how does this become my tree of life? It is the tree of life. But how does a cross become your tree of life? Because there are some here this morning... This is not yours yet. It's true, but it's not yours. It is true, but it's not yours. What makes this truth become the gospel truth for you? What makes it become your redemption? The Bible says that happens through repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance for my sin. Repentance for my sin. The Bible says, I must repent of my sin. Now notice, I said repentance. I didn't say do penance. Doing penance is not repentance. 
Doing penance means trying to do something to earn God's mercy. And it cannot be earned. It is repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is the changing of your mind which causes a change of direction. It means literally to change your mind. You know you're going the wrong way. This is wrong. My sin is wrong. And I want to turn to God. And I do turn away from my sin to God. That is repentance. What do I repent about? I repent about what my sin is. What is my sin? My sin is rebellion and treason. My sin is rebellion against God and treason against God. My friends, listen. Our sin is no different than the sin of Adam and Eve. It is rebellion and treason against the God who gave us life. I repent because of what my sin is. You understand that? It's what it is. It's against God. And I repent because of what my sin has done. What has my sin done? Friends, listen. Jesus died because of your sin. So often we say this, and it is absolutely true. Praise God. Jesus died for our sins. But I want you to know something. He died because of your sin. You and I are guilty of the death of the Son of God. I am not neutral. You are not neutral. Jesus Christ died because of you. And until you are born again, you are guilty of the death of the Son of God. It is not neutrality. It is not you might be okay. You're going to do better. If you are not born again, you are guilty of the death of Jesus. You and I are guilty of deicide. Our sins put him on that cross. We have killed the Lord of glory. And my friend, until that grips you, you are a billion miles away from the kingdom of God. Do not deceive yourself until you understand that you are guilty of the death of Jesus. You will not repent. Repenting of your sins is repenting of what it is, rebellion against God and what it did. It caused the death of the Son of God. Well, how can the cross be a tree of life then? How can it be the tree of life? It becomes a tree of life because of God's mercy when you repent and place your faith in the one who did die for you. You caused his death. I caused his death. But in the incredible, amazing providence of God, he died for the people who caused his death. Amen? 
He died for the very ones nailing him to the tree. And it was our sins, not the Roman nails, that held Jesus to the tree. And Jesus died for us. He died for us. And salvation is when we have faith. Faith that Jesus did this for us. Faith that he is my substitute and my savior. My substitute and my savior. You see, listen, isn't it amazing? On the cross, Jesus became what I am. He received what I deserve. He became what I am, sin. And he received what I deserve, death and separation from God. He's my substitute, but he's also my savior. My savior, it's amazing, I become what he is. I receive what he deserves. What does this verse say, verse 21? For he has made him to become sin for us, even though he knew no sin, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. Jesus became what I am. He received what I deserve so that I can become what he is and receive what he deserves. And that happens when you repent of your sins and your faith is in Jesus. I want you to turn back Again, to Romans. Turn back to Romans with me. Look at this verse of scripture. Romans chapter three. How does this happen? It happens through faith. 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 Romans chapter three. I want you to look at, listen to verse 20. Here's the apostle Paul. He's talking about what penance works cannot do. And here's what he says. Romans chapter three, verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law of God, the standard of God cannot save you. Not because there's something wrong with the law. There's something wrong with us. The law is the mirror. It can show you your face is dirty, but the law can't wash it. It just shows us the knowledge of our sins that we've fallen short of God's requirement. But now, read on, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It is the righteousness of God through Faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ for how many? All who believe for there is no distinction. Now notice what is given. When a person has faith in Jesus, what is given to them? The righteousness of God. Do you see that? The righteousness of God. Two times he says it. This, my friends, is the passage. It's the very spark of the Reformation. The very 
turning on of the light in the midst of the darkness and the religion of medieval times. A Roman Catholic monk, an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther, who was trying to earn favor with God. In his brilliance, he was trying to understand how he could make himself right with God, and he could not do it, and he grew so angry with God that God would demand of him what he could not do. And he was reading in Romans, and he was stopped dead in his tracks by this phrase, the righteousness of God. The righteousness that comes from God. Not our righteousness which gets us to God. But the righteousness which comes from God. And it is given to us through what? What does it say church? Faith. Faith alone. Not faith plus works. Faith plus indulgences. Faith, faith plus penance. Faith plus giving. Faith plus anything. It is faith alone in Christ. And the righteousness of God is given to those who believe. Wow. Now, friends, that's not believing about Jesus. I hope you know this morning that having faith is not believing about Jesus. The demons believe about Jesus, don't they? I'm sorry to say, but the demons have more faith than perhaps some people in this room this morning. Because the Bible says the demons believe and what? Tremble. They know who he is. You can believe all the facts about Jesus. You can believe every Bible story, every Bible study. You can believe every sermon you've ever heard that's been truth. You can believe all those facts and not have faith. Faith is not believing about Jesus. Faith is believing on Jesus. It is believing on Jesus. Let me share with you the best definition of faith that I have ever known anywhere in the Bible. It's a description of faith. I'll read it to you from Hebrews chapter 12. It follows Hebrews 11, that great faith chapter. Remember Hebrews 11? But in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all those people of faith who have gone before us. And they finished the race and now, so to speak, they're in the stands themselves. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Let us run with patience the race that is beset before us. Now listen to this. Looking to Jesus, the author of and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, the image bearer on the cross, the image bearer bearing our sins. 
He endured the cross even though he despised the shame and now he is resurrected, ascended, and he is seated at the Father's right hand on the throne. But notice what it says. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What is faith? Do you see it? Do you see it? Faith is looking to Jesus. That is what faith is. It's looking to Jesus as the one who died for you. It's looking away from yourself and looking to Christ, looking to him. That is faith. As one writer, A.W. Tozer said, chapter seven of his great book, The Pursuit of God, here's what he says this. He says, quote, faith is the gaze of the soul on a saving God. Isn't that great? It's the gaze of the soul. Friend, where are you looking for your salvation? If you're looking to your church, there's no salvation in any church, not this church. If you're looking to anything that you have done, a catechism, or a confirmation, or if you are looking to the merit of something you've done in any way, there's no salvation there, but it is looking to Jesus, who did what? Endured the cross, the tree of death, to be the tree of life for us. Looking to him, what do you receive? The righteousness of God. It's a gift of grace. You don't have to earn it. You see, it's the simplicity. It's the humbling simplicity of the gospel that makes people stumble over it. Tell me something to do, Sam. Give me a responsibility. What work do I need to accomplish? What great thing do I need to do for God? And the reality is we are ruined. We're lost. We cannot save ourselves. But God has sent one who can save us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we become what he is. We become the righteousness of God when our faith is looking, it's looking to him. It's trusting him. Friend, listen. Don't put your faith in a prayer that you prayed 40 or 50 years ago. Thank God that you prayed, but your prayer wasn't a perfect prayer. Thank God that you walked an aisle, but you didn't walk an aisle with perfect faith. Thank God that you got baptized, but you didn't get baptized with perfect faith. The reason you're saved is because someone perfect, perfectly substituted himself for your sins and satisfied the wrath of God. And if you're looking to him, you are saved. <laughs> are you looking to Christ today? Will you look to him today? Will you just look to Christ? And if you will, let me tell you what's ahead for you. You get to go back to the tree. <laughs> You get to go back to the garden because the way's been made open 
through Christ. And it's an amazing thing. The Bible ends this way. Isn't it an amazing thing the way the Bible ends? Where did the Bible start? With a garden and a tree of life. And God's image bearers enjoying him in his presence. That's where the Bible started. Where does the Bible end? (laughs) Verse 1, chapter 22, last chapter of the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. What was flowing through the garden? A river. Bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, the Redeemer. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of what? Life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything, what? Accursed. No Satan in this garden. Evil banished forever. There will be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Paradise lost, paradise regained. Verse 13. The Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the what? Tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil became the tree of evil. And the image bearers expelled from the presence of God. But another image bearer came and lived the life that we should have lived and allowed himself to be nailed to the tree of death. And on that tree of death, he conquered sin and Satan. He took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. And all those who look to him are granted the righteousness of God and inherit the privilege to enter the kingdom paradise once again and to eat of the tree of life forever and ever in a eternal homeland where there will never again be a curse. The people of God said, Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Now my dear friend, listen carefully what I'm about to say. If you go to hell, if you go to hell, 
My hands are innocent of your blood. The best way I know how, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, I've shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel. It is the gospel, the eternal everlasting gospel. It is salvation to all who look to him. Now, friend, right now, will you look to Christ? Will you look to him? Look away from any confidence in prayers. Look away from any confidence in a church and a catechism or confirmation or baptism. Look away to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And all who look to him, trusting in him, are given the righteousness of God. Look to him. Look to him. Oh God, I pray, open blinded eyes and may the eyes of lost, broken image bearers rest on the beautiful face of Jesus. Their righteousness, their substitute, their Savior. Thank you, Lord. Bless you for this gospel. May it grip our hearts, I pray in your name. God's people said, amen.